and welcome to Trek Companion. This is episode 206. I am your host, Brian Williams. I am Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. And today we're discussing Voyager's third season episodes, Blood, Fever, Unity, and Darkling. Here we go. Blood Fever, Season 2, Episode 16, Production Code 316, Original Air Date, February 5th, 1997, Directed by Andrew J. Robinson, Written by Lisa Klink, Music Composed by Jay Chataway, Guest Cast Include Alexander Inberg as Vorik, Bruce Boning as Ishan, L. Alexander as Sakari, Deborah Levin as Ensign Lang, and Amy Jo Trakoff as Tapera. <laughs> Taurus dismisses the Vulcan ensign Vorik at the end of his shift in engineering. Before Vorik leaves, he declares Konak Lilik the ritual Vulcan marriage proposal. Specifically, Vorik intends that Bellana will become his mate. He explains that he has he has an intended pride back home, but since Voyager is not likely to reach home anytime soon, he has decided to pick a mate aboard the ship and has found Bellana suitable. Flabbergasted, she declines, and he grabs her, critically her face, and she punches him and knocks him out. And you've chosen me. I've come to greatly admire not only your impressive technical skills, but also your bravery and sense of moral duty. All excellent qualities in a prospective mate. But you're Vulcan. I am half Klingon. <laughs> I really can't imagine. Perhaps we are not an obvious match. However, our differences would complement each other. You've often expressed frustration with your Klingon temper. My mental discipline would help you control it. Furthermore, I Wait, feel that... please. What an odd episode. This episode has, like... It has moments that are that are just kind of silly and maybe even bad. But then it has, like, some great moments and some really good character stuff. And we learn... You know, it's really weird. It really, more than usual, this episode kind of flips back and forth for me i think ultimately if i step back and think about it gosh i don't know um i mean you 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 have stuff like really getting at the heart of whatever there is between um paris and torres and that's worthwhile and interesting and they have some good performances but then you like think about the lines that and it's like balana stop it this isn't about the gun this is about sex (laughs) Oh man, that is just I mean, I'm sure Gene Roddenberry would have loved this episode, but you know. Um so I don't know. I this one's a tough one. I guess if nothing else when it's tough and you're on the fence, that means it's not good. But Adam, what are your first thoughts here? Yeah, I would I'd kind of agree. I mean, I I actually kind of like this episode. I think there's enough in it to like about it. I mean, you get a um you know, you get a lot about um um, Vulcans and what they go through every seven years. I mean, it's kind of um, it's kind of amusing to see the doctor trying to help um Vorik, you know, you know, with all these suggestions, and you know, and they ultimately get to the um, you know, the holodeck and that kind of thing. You know, they, kind of, <laughs> they never really come out and say it. It's just all insinuated. Just you know, spend some time with her and, and see what happens. So that's that was kind of a that was amusing. And it, like I said, it was it was interesting to see you know the doctor trying trying to figure this out with Vorik and um ultimately Tuvok and you, you know, obviously, you know, you know, being Trek fans and, and seeing all of the, uh, the previous episodes before this about, um, about this situation, we knew, we knew a little bit about it, but it gets a little bit more in depth in this episode and um, you see how personal it is and how private it is. Um, so ultimately I, I like this episode. I, I understand what you're talking about, Brian. There are some kind of wonky moments um, here and there, but um, overall I enjoyed it. 
something you just said made me think of it. Like I love the writing of the dialogue in some of the scenes. When when Tuvok goes to visit um uh Vorik in his quarters, like the dialogue is really well written there. I like it. I like you know, they really get because it's it'd be easy to just one Vulcan talking to another Vulcan for it to all sound the same, but no, you you can tell which are Tuvok's lines, you know? Right. That's the kind of stuff that's that's good. And then you've got, I don't know, Vorik fighting Torres at the end, and I just think that's kind of silly. Uh, Steve? Yeah, I, I kind of agree with what... I, I think the thing is with this, uh, it gets a lot of bonus points for, for Trek geeks, you know, because of all of the references. I mean, you know, if you, if you you know, we haven't seen, like, every, everybody knows about Ponfar, but, you know, there's certain aspects of it that they explore... Um, and it, it is interesting with the, the with two Vulcans and seeing the interaction with something like this. And I've all, always liked this character of Vorik and how that kind of plays off. You know, you have the, you know, younger and older Vulcans and, uh, you know, seeing, you know, two Vulcans deal, you know, talking about this or not talking about it or whatever. You kind of see a new dynamic to it. Um, but, yeah, I think if it wasn't for all of the kind of historical stuff and the insight into, you know, some background things we may not have seen before it would have it would be a hard sell um because of the silliness like you point out but um but it is also cool that we see uh you know again more development with the tom and balana thing and i think they handled that well i mean obviously we're early on with it all but i, I like how they have this little you know it's not like they just you know one one episode they just say okay we're doing this you know i mean there's all there was all these little nuggets over time that are dropped in there before they just decide oh we're gonna have a couple now you know here and it's these two um so i do think that's good but yeah there there, there is some kind of awkward goofy stuff too like imagine that that Vorik and torres fight with a different piece of music i should have just you know just a little hint of it <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That may have been. I, I think, but, but when you watch a muck time, it's not cheesy, right? No. I don't think. No, I don't think so. Yeah, in a muck time, but I mean, you know, it's a you feel the more in that muck time, you feel the more life and death struggle that that is happening here. I don't. I never really got a sense of like you know life and death even struggle in in, in their fight. You know, they were just going to fight it out, and like I said, it's kind of you know. It's kind of impromptu and walky, um, you know, Tuvok, um, they've got to fight. There's no other choice, you know. <laughs> no, that's wrong. Well, well, let's do it anyway, you know. I mean, yeah, it's all. I, I was going to say, I think my favorite mo- moment in the episode is when um, um, Tom is um, telling um, Janeway what had happened. And she she bit me. And this the look on Kate McGrew's face was just classic. It was just like, <laughs> just a, they had a little shot of everybody's face on on the bridge. And it was just like, what? <laughs> so I, I kind of see those reaction shots with any other dialogue, you know, like just yeah. play that part and have other things being spoken of and just. <laughs> <laughs> I like the uh, kind of story twist of Vork showing up after you think that Mm-hmm. That the doctor's holo, um, holodeck solution has helped him, which this, which I know we've touched on this a million times before, but it's funny how it's a holodeck solution, not like in reality it would be everyone's solution. You know, the holodeck <laughs> being that issue all the time. So anyway, like, hmm, wow, what an idea! Yeah. <laughs> I need some release. I need some gentleman's time in the holodeck, please. <laughs> Is this episode about anything? It's kind of hard to pinpoint. I think, you know, I, I think Steve kind of mentioned it, you know, the um, 
the casual subtleties of attraction between two people and they just kind of explode at some point, you know, I think that's kind of what they're going with, with um, Paris and Bellana, you know, you know, we've gotten, you know, you know, several little, little clues and bits and pieces, you know, throughout this season about them kind of liking each other. And um, um, I guess kind of how attraction matches. Um, um, Another thing that I kind of thought of is like, you know, um, keeping things in emotions anything kind of like that is it's usually ends up not being a good thing um and you know you see, you hear that the doctor berating um Vorik and Tuvok about you know not being more open about their their sexuality so it's kind of what I took took from it yeah it's kind of an interesting um it's kind of it's one of these it's exploration of of just the way different cultures handle things differently you know and it, it's not a right or wrong thing it's just you see how things get disrupted so easily when uh, an issue is forced you know and um you know we have a norm for certain things but you know other cultures have a different norm and this just kind of exposes all of that in a way you know makes it really obvious like look you know these are all just um just things we do they're conventions that we follow and it's it's different um for other cultures and you know i mean i so i think it's kind of an interesting exploration of that notion i suppose adam you liked it steve yeah. you like this episode um i don't dislike it i mean I, it's one of these I, I think is 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 entertaining and i uh i have some fun with it because of some of the references and i like to see the tom balana stuff um I, I don't know if i'd objectively call it like a, an above average episode in that sense i might say average-ish or something maybe. i think i'm with you I, I would rather have this episode than not it has enough it has enough in it that is worth it but it's but it it's got too much to that holds it back. All right, let's do six degrees for blood fever. Adam, let's see how well you were listening when Steve gave his his opening credits. Who was the DS9 actor that directed this episode? Not a regular, but a but a frequently recurring guest star on DS9 directed this episode. Um. Yeah, usually I'm reading over my stuff while Steve's talking. I'm sorry, Steve. I'm usually not listening to you. Or if you watched credits. the opening credits of this episode <laughs> when you watched it, um, not a reoccur. I mean, a re. Just, it's not part of the main cast of DS9, right? Is that what you're saying? Yes, but it's someone that's in there in a, a lot. Um, also directed an episode or two of DS9. Nuts. Um, also was amazing in the 1971 movie I watched in my theater the other day. Uh, you know, I'd like to guess, but I'm having a brain freeze on like all the actors' names. So I'll go ahead and mm-hmm. give it to Mr. Steve. Well, that wouldn't be fair because he's got it written in front of him. Yeah. <laughs> so that's okay. It's Andy Robinson Garrick. Yeah. Uh, Steve, name the actor featured in this episode that is producer Jerry Taylor's son. Huh. Okay. Well, um, if it makes you feel any better, Steve. I'm not going to know it either. So, is it Alexander Inberg? Yes, Vorik okay. is Jerry Taylor's son. Steve has one. Moving on. Unity, season three, episode seventeen, production code one fifty nine, original air date February twelfth, nineteen ninety seven. Directed by Robert Duncan McNeil, written by Kenneth Biller, music composed by Paul Belergen. Guest cast include Lori Halier as Riley Fraser, Ibar Broger as Orum, and Susan Patterson as Ensign Kaplan. <laughs>
Commander Chicote and Ensign Kaplan hear a distress call while scouting ahead for Voyager and a shuttlecraft. They land the vessel but come under fire from hostile aliens, killing Kaplan and injuring Chicote. He wakes in a room with a woman called Riley Frazier. She informs him that she is part of a group of survivors on the planet from a variety of races. There are other groups nearby, including those that attacked him. She calls her group the Cooperative. Meanwhile, Voyager discovers a derelict board cube, and Captain Janeway decides that an investigation is required in order to learn more about board technology. After the euphoria wore off, people started looking around and found they were living among other cultures they didn't understand, or worse, species they'd been taught to hate. They turned against one another. Things became chaotic. The fighting, the raids. But we're not all like that. Everything I told you about forming a cooperative, building a new society, I meant it. Unity. Steve, kick us off on Unity. Uh, yes. So, of course, I remember this era. You know, the, the previous episode ended with a little hint that, that we we're moving in on the Borg here. And this is, um, you know, obviously addresses that directly. And we see kind of a new take on the Borg, uh, you know, a group of... A uh, group of drones who have escaped and maintained some level of their uh, abilities to think together and so on. Um, I'm 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 a little torn on it because I, it's kind of like I also remember that I got tired of the Borg kind of at some point, and uh, this and not that I mean we're just now touching on it in Voyager, but you know it's it's hard to stay fresh with that. Um, I don't think this is awful or anything, but I I think that it kind of he gets a little tiresome with Chakotay stuck there and him being you know, getting upset with, uh, the situation and his frustrations. And it's like, you know, don't assimilate me. And, and then, then he's being under their control. And all that. I, I don't know. Some, that kind of, something just gets tiresome with that for me, but I do think there's, there's some interesting ideas that they're touching on here, um, regarding this collective mind idea and the, the positives and negatives and the inclinations one has, if you have this power and this kind of stuff. So I think it might have a little something to say, but yeah, those are my thought, initial thoughts. I wrote down some lines here. Chicote with Riley. How long will residual effect? How long will the residual effect last? And she says an hour, maybe two. And then he says, "Then let's definitely use that on sex." <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, all right. I'm not sure if you guys saw the same We're, version. I did. It would have been better if he said resistance is futile. <laughs> Uh, yeah. What are your first thoughts, Adam? Um, my first thoughts are I thought this was a good Chicote episode. Um, I don't know if that necessarily makes it a good episode, but I know we've we've mentioned this before that um sometimes they had a it seems like they had a hard time with Chicote trying to figure out what to do with them and you know kind of finding his place. Don't get me wrong, I re- I really like the character and I think he fits well in in the crew and stuff like that. But usually when we get like on a well, usually when we have a Chicote singular episode, it's usually not something that we're all, yay, this was a great episode. But I thought this was above average for his character. I thought it, it'll it explain some things, obviously, with Seven and Nine later on in the series. Um, you know, maybe why, you know, he's attracted to her and that kind of stuff, because he kind of has an insight to, into her that um, that nobody else on the crew does. But, you know, we'll get into that more down the line. So I think it's a good setup episode um, for future stuff. I don't know if that's what they actually intended, but um, it, it kind of works. Um, the reason I said it was a good episode for Jakote because you kind of, you know, you s- 
I didn't quite have the same feeling as Steve that it was kind of dragging out and that kind of thing. I can see what he's saying. It it, it kind of does kind of drag there in the middle of the episode, middle to the second half until we, you know, get into the climax. Um, you know, and obviously we've kind of seen this before with, with Hugh, you know, Borg, you know, breaking off and trying to start their own collective or society. So this isn't quite a new idea um, for Star Trek and the Borg. So I think that kind of hurts this episode a little bit for me. But overall, I mean, I, I would say I liked it. I, I really, I liked the first two episodes and that we're discussing today. I thought the third one that we'll get into was the weakest of the three. Um, but overall, yeah, I thought it was pretty good. This episode had something that kind of bothered me a little bit. I don't know why. The red shirt thing at the beginning. Because that's the kind of thing we're totally used to from the original series, and that was okay there. But I don't know. I never thought this before watching it at this episode this time. But like watching it, you see this ensign on the ship with Jakota, and you're like, yep, she's going to die. <laughs> Otherwise, they would have had you know one of our regulars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they get there and and the ensign dies. And nobody cares. We don't talk about it or anything else. Even at the end, like, I don't know. There's never even a moment like for Janeway to reflect on this crew member that's been with them for three years and now is dead. I don't know why. I never thought this before. It never bothered me before. This is a normal thing. But it was a normal thing in the original series days. And maybe, I don't know. No, I, 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 can, I didn't think about that, Brian, but I can definitely see your point because obviously, you know, there's there. It's not like people are coming and going on the on the ship. It's like they're all kind of a, a family and a group. And even though we haven't seen this person at all, you know, you would think that she would be more well known and, and on the ship and, and people would mourn her more. So I definitely see your point that they kind of just glossed over her death. Yeah, I mean, if um, what Vork said in the previous episode, there are like 73 males on the ship. Assuming there's a similar number of females. So yeah, there's about 140, roughly. But that's like one person out of that? That's that's some, That's got to be, like everybody would have known that person after three years, right? I don't know. For sure. I don't know. Yeah, I definitely see your point. They probably, um, I wouldn't, I don't, maybe lazy is not the right word, but I mean, you know, you kind of get into a, a rhythm of, of killing, of yeah. killing off crew members, like you said, in you know DS Nine or Next Gen, you know it's kind of commonplace because yeah, I mean, and they're they're in the known they're they're known sector, so people are coming and going all the time. It's not um, as impactful, and you probably you're probably right. They probably missed an opportunity there, or maybe they should have even killed her off. They could have just had her injured as well and kind of a side character. Could have done something interesting with her requiring more permanent Borg tech or something to, I don't know, to. Uh, be brought back, or I don't yeah. know. I don't know. That's just what also turned it kind of on its head. You know, the expectation that oh, here's a obvious red shirt incident. You know, kind of tongue in cheek in a way. But oh, mm-hmm. she's not dead. Okay, when well, you know that. Chicote doesn't have much of a choice, but he sure seems quick to accept that Borg neural transmitter. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, well, it was like right before he was. He was like, you know, either do this or you're gonna die. So yeah. How did you guys feel about, like Chakotay points out, that Riley and her group, they seem benign or even friendly, but then, you know, like he says, they didn't hesitate to control me when it served their interests. I thought it was a good scene. You're talking about the end scene with Janeway and Chakotay. Well, I'm not talking about the scene so much as I'm just talking about if it comes off as if 
they can only uh, remove so much of the Borg, you know, metaphorically or something. Like they're still, maybe they still think their way is superior. Maybe they still think, you know, like are they still a little bit Borg? Right, right. Well, I think that's one of the more interesting facets of this too is that it's a little bit like the absolute power corrupts absolutely, but it's it's kind of touches on that whole group think thing and, and that idea that, you know, individual people are generally relatively rational, but you put a mob together and crazy stuff happens. You know, it's, it's a, a little bit like that too. You know, you, if you have a, if there's a goal and that, and then you really can truly think together as a group and say, how do we achieve this goal? Well, you know, no matter how benevolent you think you are, if you ultimately really want something, you're going to make it happen. You know, if you have that power. So that's the danger of it all. You know, they, they think they've left that behind, but you know, if you've got that ability, you know, you truly free, individual, benevolent, moral, you know, I don't know. So it's kind of all the old ad, you know, righteous is in the eye of the beholder kind of thing. You know, it's like, you think you're right, but everybody else, you know, I, I don't know what if I'm saying makes sense, but yeah, just because you think you're right, doesn't make it right. If that makes sense. Yeah. It was cool to see a Borg ship or no. And it sounds like Steve, you were saying maybe. Well, it, it, again, it, it's, it's pretty early on in the series and, you know, for the Borg stuff in this series. And I, and I do like, you know, seven of nine and what they do with that and so on later on. But I do remember getting kind of Borged out at some point for all this, you know, cause it, you know, I think it was one of these deals that it was such a success and everyone loves the Borg and they, they did kind of run the ground at some point, you know, I know it's early in Voyager for Borg, but. Yeah. I mean, this was after first contact, not long, mm-hmm. but it was after first contact. Shortly. Yeah. I, I remember feeling that way. Like, okay, too much Borg. You're reaching to get them in here on enterprise. Oh, yeah, yeah. That yeah. one, it just seemed yeah. like such a cheat. Like they were just desperate for Borg ratings. Right. Right. But I mean, you know, it makes sense. Of course we expect Voyager in the yeah. Delta quadrant to run it. And then what they hint at species, what is it? Four, seven, nine. Is that right? A four, seven, two. Yeah. A four, seven, two. Which I don't know at this point if they were really planning that yet, or if, you know, they're just saying, Oh, there's going to be something more powerful and that's scary. You know, What's this episode about? Were, were we kind of getting on that, or yeah, I kind of think we got That's... into that a little bit in the, you know, in the last couple of minutes. You know, you know, you know, absolute power does it corrupt? Um, with Jacote, you know, is I don't know if it was his hesitance to accept new things. It might be kind of a stretch on my part, but I mean, you know, opening up yourself to new experiences can enlighten yourself to new opportunities. So that might be a stretch but it's kind of what I got out of it. Um, but yeah, I think ultimately is like... No, I mean, you're right. I think she helped Chakotay explore himself. <laughs> <laughs> In a manner of speaking, right? <laughs> but yeah, I think ultimately, I mean, this episode is trying, you know, at the end of the episode, it's, you know, Chakotay kind of put this episode in a nutshell it's like you know with all this power can they still remain benevolent and uh, a positive force yeah and this whole in yeah and this group think idea again you know like even when you've got when they can when they can kind of disconnect when they're not like all on all the time like when they were borg they still get all together and you know they go you know engaging in some morally questionable activities and so on i mean it's it's just one of those things, you know, when everyone starts, they have one goal in mind and they also start thinking and they don't exercise their individuality, you got trouble. You don't think about right or wrong. You just kind of go for the goal. All right, let's do six degrees for unity. Steve has one. Steve, mm-hmm. 
Ivar Brogger plays Dr. Oram, the doctor that fixes Chakotay's head problem by implanting some comfy Borg tech. In Voyager's seventh season, he will play another doctor, Dr. Oram. Nope. A different doctor's name, which I wrote down incorrectly, but it was a different doctor uh, in the episode Natural Law. In this episode, Paris gets Paris gets a speeding ticket of sorts, piloting what vessel? Oh, probably the uh, Delta Flyer. Yes, sir. And Adam, if you were listening, you're going to get this. It's a gimme. Taurus suggests the Borg were defeated by a more powerful enemy. Who is she referring, likely referring to? He just said it. I know he just said it, but I don't remember the number order. I'm horrible with that. Species, I don't, I, like I said, every time I think it's, I think it's Species 479. I don't know why, but whatever. Yeah. Yeah, it's not. Yeah. All right, Steve. 8472. 3 nothing, Steve. Moving on. Darkling, Season 3, Episode 18, Production Code 161, Original Air Date, February 19th, 1997, Directed by Alexander Singer, Story by Brennan Braga and Joe Minoski, Teleplay by Joe Minoski, Music Composed by Paul Belergin. Guest cast include David Lee Smith as Zahir, Stephen Davies as Nakan, Noel de Souza as Gandhi, Christopher Clark as Lord Byron, and Sue Henley as Ensign Brooks. <laughs> The doctor attempts to improve his program by including holographic elements of his pers- of personalities of various famous people that he admires. However, the darker, lesser, well-known sides of these people's personalities form a second evil personality in the doctor. This evil version of the doctor attempts to murder an alien from the planet being visited by Voyager by pushing him off a cliff. The physiology of pain is simple. Too much and the organism loses consciousness, a protective mechanism. If that mechanism were chemically suppressed, one would experience agony beyond imagining. If you're lying to me... I... won't... help you. (laughs) I'm not a big fan of this episode. I'd agree. (laughs) Tell me why. Um, it's kind of wonky. You get the whole, I mean, you know, I feel, I know we've talked about this before, you know, they didn't have much to do with Kess. And I don't think this, I didn't think this was a bad idea to do with her, but I mean, we never really got a resolution between her and Neelix. You know, there's just a mention of this in the episode. Yeah. Since your recent breakup with Neelix, I'm like, oh, okay, they're, they're finally broken up. Were they ever really together? So, um, that's the resolution to um, the Neelix Kess relationship, and then um, you know it's it's not uncommon to have a, you know love interest episodes. You know we just had it with Chicote in the previous one, and you know we have one here with Kess, and it all kind of makes sense. She's you know kind of in her adolescence, and she kind of wants to explore new things and and, and do new things. Um, so that's it's not like an, an uncommon thing. Well, then, you know, usually I love Doctor episodes. I mean, we'll find out once we get through the series. But, I mean, I want to say this is my least favorite Doctor episode. It's just, it's wonky, you know. It's, I don't know. I, I could go on, but I'm not. I just wasn't a big fan yeah, of what like, they did I love, I love Picardo. I yeah. really do. You know, he's his character is probably my, I think he's my favorite in the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, he, of course he is. And... He, you know, Picardo as an actor, he does interesting things, and I like him a lot. I think he's a really good actor, but I'm not entirely sure he pulls this one off. 
and I hate to even say that, but this may be the one time where, I don't know, like maybe this wasn't quite his wheelhouse. I'm not sure. Did, did, just, did his performance does it trip you guys up at all? I think it's a combination of writing, maybe directing, I don't know. And then, yeah, I'd kind of agree. It was not, not his best performance, but I mean, it's kind of all over the place. I mean, but go ahead. Yeah, I, I think so too. I think it's a combination of the writing and the performance a bit. It's hard to pinpoint, but it, it's almost like the whole thing's on the nose, you know? I mean, it feels like if you. Yeah, it's almost like mustache twirly. He's got those like monster teeth and the. The Weird contact eyes. lenses, the yeah. eyes. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, yeah, if this was on like on stage or something, you know, maybe that would work better, you know, that kind of way of playing it or something. But I do think, I think it was on the nose. The writing was on the nose. Like it's just kind of, yeah, it's kind of like this. I don't know. It could turn around, but I'm talking to myself and I turn around this way. And I don't know. It's just, it's a little over the top. I think you also have, um, it's just like, it's just kind of things are hitting, just not hitting right, you know, like the, I think it's reasonable notion to break up Neelix and Kess, but it took place off scene and it's just kind of like, oh, well, that happened. What's going on? And then it makes her look a little silly, you know, to kind of like shirk her duties to go do this other stuff. And that's going on at the same time um, along along with, um, <clears throat> excuse me, the, um, what was I going to say? Something, oh yeah, just things like, why does he recite the the uh, oath at the end of the episode? And it, it, all these little, these cho- some choices just seem odd how they played this off. So yeah, this episode isn't really sure what it wants to be. And then, you know, and then by the end of this episode, you know, I mean, Kes seems very much in love with this guy and really ready gung-ho to go. And then by the end of the episode, it's like, no, I'm not going to go. There's yeah, no like really resolution yeah. to that right relationship that she was just having. Um, it's just kind of like, oh, no, I decided to stay. Um, so it's like, okay, not only did we not get a resolution to the Neelix, you know, she doesn't. So my take from this is um, there, there are no resolutions to Kess's um, relationships. <laughs> they, just, they just end off scene. Like, I, I think if the doctor, if the different, I know it's they're going for like a Jekyll and Hyde thing here, but if the difference between evil doctor and normal doctor was more subtle, then this episode could have been much more like, frightening and horrific and scary yeah yeah you know i kind of had a nitpicky thing brian i mean you had a nitpicky thing in the last episode um first off you know the doctor teleports i mean he transports off the planet the first time to to push um kessa's lover off the cliff but nobody knew he got off the ship you know and then later in the episode like oh there's a, a transport going on that nobody knows so I, that was just like a weird thing like well he did it before how come he can't do it this time and um I don't know. It was just, just kind of a weird thing. And then, you know, he was the doctor, this evil doctor was supposed to be so evil, you know, that he pushed this other guy off the cliff, but did, he didn't kill Balana. He just knocked her unconscious. It just seems like the character that they set up would be, you know, a murderous person. He wouldn't care about anything, but he just knocks Balana unconscious. And did he kill the guy in the transport? Did he kill the transporter operator or not? Did he just stun him? So those were just little incongruities that would just kind of bothered me a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like when, when they're on the planet, kind of near the end there, before they, before they end up jumping off the cliff, for what purpose? I'm not sure. Is he killing, trying to kill them both? I don't know. But even before that, and he says that they're going to leave the planet. I'm like, well, what is it? And they just start walking through the woods. Like, what is his plan exactly? Mm-hmm. The guy is smarter than this. I, you know, even evil version is smarter than this. I, I think I didn't, I didn't understand. Yeah, it just didn't seem well thought out. And Kess, like, explaining to the doctor, empathy is important. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> really? <laughs> I mean, 
I, I will say this. I did like the scenes um, with Balana and the doctor when he's like, you know, got has his hand on her knee and she's. <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah, that's th- those, were, those were my favorite. That was honestly, that was my favorite scenes of the whole episode because I was just kind of laughing. You know, he's getting up her, you know, like touching her belly and she's just looking at him. So uh, that was my positive take from the episode. Those were. I like that bit because that, that joke only works because of the way it's shot, right? So you almost think that. Yeah they must have that must have been written into the script you know right to shoot it that way steve uh, i mean do you it sounds like you know adam and i i feel like we don't like it yeah i don't do you think this is bad i don't yeah i don't yeah i don't particularly care for it yeah i think it's definitely well below average yeah and and probably yeah the worst doctor centric episode you know that i can think of this was another braga script or no a uh, st- story by him and Joe Manoski and Joe Manoski wrote the teleplay. Manoski wrote it. Okay. Yeah. It's hard for me to imagine a version of the, like a, a version of this story that I like. Right. I mean, I mean, I could envision conceptually how you would do this well, but it had to be totally like to start over, you know, but I mean, yeah. for me, I would just cut out all the doctor stuff and just make it a cast centric episode. And then that way you would have had time to deal with the Neelix her and Neelix's relationship and have a conclusion to that. And, you know, maybe have a goofy B story with the doctor in this, but I mean, I think they kind of did um, Kess's character a disservice by, you know, it kind of starts off like, Oh, this is going to be a Kess episode and we're going to kind of get some insight into her character. And then it just becomes this weird, you know, like you said, Dr. And Jekyll, Dr. And Jekyll and Mr. Hyde episode. And you're just like, what's going on with this? And like I said, we don't get any kind of resolution with, Neelix or, you know, her, you know, the guy that she was falling in love with. It's just kind of like, all right, that happened. What's the episode about? Uh, I don't know. Love Lost. Yeah, I mean, I don't, whatever it's supposed to be about, they don't do it well. Don't mess with your holographic programming. I, I, I really, I don't, I don't have a lot to say, like, what this episode's about. It's part of another reason why it's not very good. Yeah, I mean, yeah, if they t- if they took a different route to this, you know, this whole notion of him trying to enhance himself by putting in things that just don't jibe, you could have, there's potential lessons there, you know, but it just that gets lost really quickly. Yeah, like I said, they, they can't make up their mind what, this, what they want this episode to be about. Do they want it to be about Kess or do they want it to be about the Doctor? Because, like, we, I mean, the scene with Kess and Janeway in her ready room when she was talking about, you know, wanting to leave the ship, it's a good scene. And it makes sense for her character. But then that just kind of gets left left aside all right let's do six degrees for darkling adam are you going first or second um i'll go first let's get this sucker over with stephen davies plays nakan he played a bolian pilot in an episode of g space 9 that aired on january 3rd 1993 name the episode i have no idea i wouldn't have asked it if it there wasn't something to that. I wouldn't just completely pull a date out of nowhere. I should be feeling really... I'm not really... Sure. 1993? Yeah, I don't know. Sorry. I'm not in Steve? trivia mode today. Emissary? Yes, it was yeah. the, the very first episode of DS9. Uh, Steve, in DS9, he played an alien in the episode Hippocratic Oath. In this episode, Bashir tries to free a, uh, that alien species of an addiction to a drug name the species okay oh yeah um jim hadar 
Five zero. I'm sorry, but that is a record. That no, that, is... no, I think he's wiped me out that that much before. All right. Well, hey, I remember recently that you won. There was a time that you yeah. won. We'll always remember that. Occasionally, <laughs> it happens. <laughs> uh, so they did announce um, an animated trek, mm-hmm. a comedy, CBS All Access, uh, from the guy that wrote that did those tweets and did that season eight book for next gen that was really funny. So I have to say, and I'm surprising myself by saying it, but that sounds kind of fun. I would like to see the him do a, like a lower decks comic animated show. What do you think? Well, it's certainly a new notion. I mean, so, you know, I mean, anything that's done well could be, could be good. You know, I, I, don't, I, guess, my, I guess my initial reaction was like, well, that's interesting. But yeah, I mean, if you do it the right way, I mean, it, it would be worse if they created just uh, series after series after series and they're all the same kind of thing. Yeah. That, would, that would be a worse thing. So, you know, if they keep it fresh and do some different things and it feels right, which is, you know, we'll see, but yeah. There are always possibilities, right, Steve? Yeah, yeah, exactly. As Spock would say. But it's still going to be CBS All Access. So, Adam, does it, like, bother you more? <laughs> or no? Well, a quick story. I'm a, I'm a little annoyed with CBS about something else. Um, real quick, so, you know, I, I work for Comcast, so I have Xfinity. Go out there and get Xfinity. So one of the apps, you know, when I'm, I'm out of town right now, one of the apps is like I can go out of town and I can still watch my DVR programming and that kind of stuff. And I've never had any problems with it. And I was trying to watch a CBS show and a little warning sign came up like, Xfinity, um, due to contractual obligations, we cannot show you this unless you are connected to your home Wi-Fi. And I'm like, well, what the hell is the point of me? You know, so it's a CBS thing. So it may be even more annoying with CBS than I already am. I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens. It doesn't, I'm guessing the series isn't um, going to be coming out for at least another year or two. Yeah. So we'll see. But CBS annoys me. If you, if you guys out there didn't already know. Opinions on this show do not, necessarily reflect that of our employers <laughs> <laughs> well since none of us work for cbs we're good no i but you work you said who you work for oh yeah comcast. well no it's not comcast's fault it's cbs's fault because <laughs> i can watch other stuff on my you know i've been watching other stuff on my dvr from other things it's you know, it's just, you know cbs all right well we are going to be back in two weeks to discuss the next three episodes of Star Trek Voyager. Until next time, you can follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Trek Companion. Our Twitter handle is at Trek Companion. You can send us an email, trekcompanion at gmail.com. Thank you so much for spending an hour with us. And until next time, take it easy. Bye, guys. See you. I passed it.